communicating entities into the environment. We have lived for some years with the first of these self-replicating entities, computer viruses. And we're beginning to have some practical experience with the problems of biotechnology. The recent report that modified maize genes now appear in native maize in Mexico, despite laws against it and efforts to prevent it, is just the start of what we may expect to be a long and difficult journey to control our technology. At the same time, long-standing beliefs about the fundamental safety of biotechnology, views that have been promoted by the great majority of biologists since the 1970s, now appear less secure. The unintended creation of a devastatingly lethal virus by Australian researchers in 2001 has caused many to rethink old assumptions. Clearly, we will not be as casual about this technology in the future as we have been in the past. Nanotechnology is the newest of these three technologies, and in some ways the most radical. It's the quest to build man-made machinery of extremely small size, on the order of 100 nanometers, or a hundred billionths of a meter. Such machines would be about a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. Pundits predict these tiny machines will provide everything from miniaturized computer components to new cancer treatments to new weapons of war. As a concept, nanotechnology dates back to a 1959 speech by Richard Feynman called There's Plenty of Room at the Bottom. Forty years later, the field is still very much in its infancy despite relentless media hype. Yet practical advances are now being made and funding has increased dramatically. Major corporations such as IBM, Fujitsu, and Intel are pouring money into research. The U.S. government has spent $1 billion on nanotechnology in the last two years. Meanwhile, nanotechniques are already being used to make sunscreens, stain-resistant fabrics, and composite materials in cars. Soon they will be used to make computers and storage devices of extremely small size. And some of the long-anticipated miracle products have started to appear as well. In 2002, one company was manufacturing self-cleaning window glass. Another made a nanocrystal wound dressing with antibiotic and anti-inflammatory properties. At the moment, nanotechnology is primarily a materials technology, but its potential goes far beyond that. For decades, there has been speculation about self-reproducing machines. In 1980, a NASA paper discussed several methods by which such machines could be made. Ten years ago, two knowledgeable scientists took the matter seriously, and I quote them, Within 50 to 100 years, a new class of organisms is likely to emerge. These organisms will be artificial in the sense that they will originally be designed by humans. However, they will reproduce and will evolve into something other than their original form. They will be alive under any reasonable definition of the word. The pace of evolutionary change will be extremely rapid, the impact on humanity and the biosphere could be enormous, larger than the Industrial Revolution, nuclear weapons, or environmental pollution. 
we must take steps now to shape the emergence of artificial organisms. End of quote. And the chief proponent of nanotechnology, K. Eric Drexler, once expressed related concerns, and I'll quote him. There are many people, including myself, who are quite queasy about the consequences of this technology for the future. We are talking about changing so many things that the risk of society handling it poorly through lack of preparation is very large. End of quote. Even by the most optimistic or dire predictions, such organisms are probably decades into our future. We may hope that by the time they emerge, we will have settled upon international controls for self-reproducing technology. We can expect such controls to be stringently enforced. Already we have learned to treat computer virus makers with a severity unthinkable 20 years ago. We've learned to put hackers in jail. Errant biotechnologists will soon join them. But of course, it is always possible that we will not establish controls, or that someone will manage to create artificial self-reproducing organisms far sooner than anyone expected. If so, it's difficult to anticipate what the consequences might be. That is the subject of the present novel. Michael Crichton, Los Angeles, 2002. It's midnight now. The house is dark. I'm not sure how this will turn out. The kids are all desperately sick, throwing up. I can hear my son and daughter retching in separate bathrooms. I went in to check on them a few minutes ago to see what was coming up. I'm worried about the baby, but I had to make her sick too. It was her only hope. I think I'm okay, at least for the moment. But of course the odds aren't good. Most of the people involved in this business are already dead. And there are so many things I can't know for sure. The facility is destroyed, but I don't know if we did it in time. I'm waiting for May. She went to the lab in Palo Alto 12 hours ago. I hope she succeeded. I hope she made them understand how desperate the situation is. I expected to hear from the lab, but so far there's been no word. I have ringing in my ears, which is a bad sign. And I feel a vibrating in my chest and abdomen. The baby is spitting up, not really vomiting. I am feeling dizzy. I hope I don't lose consciousness. The kids need me, especially the little one. They're frightened. I don't blame them. I am too. Sitting here in the dark, it's hard to believe that a week ago my biggest problem was finding a job. It seems almost laughable now. But then, things never turn out the way you think they will. Day one. Things never turn out the way you think they will. I never intended to become a house husband, stay-at-home husband, full-time dad, whatever you want to call it. There is no good term for it. But that's what I had become in the last six months. Now, I was in Creighton Barrel in downtown San Jose, picking up some extra glasses. And while I was there, I noticed they had a good collection of placemats. We needed more placemats. The woven ones Julia had bought a year ago were getting pretty worn. I found some pale blue ones that were nice, and I got some white napkins. And then some yellow placemats caught my eye. That was when my cell phone rang. 
It was Julia. Hi, hon. Hi, Julia. How's it going? I said. I could hear machinery in the background, a steady chugging. Probably the vacuum pump for the electron microscope. They had several scanning electron microscopes at her laboratory. She said, What are you doing? Buying placemats, actually. Oh, well, that's good, she said. I could tell Julia was completely uninterested in this conversation. Something else was on her mind. Listen, I wanted to tell you, Jack, I'm really sorry, but it's going to be a late night again. Uh, okay. Is everything all right? Yeah, it's just crazy like normal. We're broadcasting a demo by satellite today to the venture capital guys in Asia and Europe, and we're having trouble with the satellite hookup. We're going to be delayed two hours, hon. I won't get back until eight at the earliest. Can you feed the kids and put them to bed? No problem, I said, and it wasn't. I was used to it. Lately, Julia had been working very long hours. Most nights she didn't get home until the children were asleep. Zymos Technology, the company she worked for, was trying to raise another round of venture capital, $20 million, and there was a lot of pressure. Especially since Zymos was developing technology in what the company called molecular manufacturing, but which most people called nanotechnology. Nano wasn't popular with the VCs, venture capitalists, these days. Too many VCs had been burned in the last ten years with products that were supposedly just around the corner, but then never made it out of the lab. Not that Julia needed to be told that. She'd worked for two VC firms herself. Originally trained as a child psychologist, she ended up as someone who specialized in technology incubation, helping fledgling technology companies get started. Eventually, she'd stopped advising firms and joined one of them full-time. She was now a vice president at Zymos. Julia said Zymos had made several breakthroughs and was far ahead of others in the field. She said they were just days away from a prototype commercial product.